Welcome to the podcast that's dedicated to helping business owners to exit their business on their terms. I'm Daryl Bates-Brownsword, and today I'm joined by Manny Skivophilax. Manny's from Baltimore, Maryland, and he's an outsource CFO. So the reason I wanted to talk to, to Manny is that he's got some really interesting perspectives from a CFO's perspective when working with SME business owners on, on helping them prepare and all the things they need to do to uh, get their businesses exit ready. So welcome. Thanks for joining me today, Manny. Thank you for having me, Daryl. That's great. And uh, look, apologies straight off the bat if I got your name or if I uh, got any pronunciation wrong. Uh, I did my best. No worries. So great. <laughs> You're too kind. So Manny, look, um, we, we were talking earlier and we're doing a bit of prep and and you're telling me that yeah, as a CFO, well, before I launch in, I've got a, a, I love working with CFOs and you've got so much to offer, but why don't you give us a little bit of background first, just to, to how you got to working with SME businesses as, a, as a, you know, a CFO, but now working as an outsourced CFO to SME businesses. How did you end up there? Sure. I started my career, Daryl, um, in a commercial lending training program. And you start at the bottom of the bank and you rotate through the various departments, you know, small business lending, middle market, large corporate, specialty groups. And they teach you how to uh, use financial statement analysis to analyze a company's financials and determine if they're credit worthy. And from that experience, I lasted about nine years. I decided to hang a shingle up as an outsourced chief financial officer because I wanted to work uh, part time for a bunch of different uh, businesses so I wouldn't get bored. So that's how it started. And I've been doing that for the last 20 years. And have you ever been bored? You know, I haven't, which is the blessing. It's uh, kept me on my toes. So. What's the, Manny, what's the, the number one thing that you think uh, your skill set, because I know there's many people that, that do what you do. So your skill set, what do you think is the key ingredient that a CFO, um, an outsourced CFO, brings to a, a growing SME? Now, in my case specifically, I have been very fortunate and very blessed in that, you know, I grew up in business. My parents immigrated uh, to the United States from Greece. They worked, saved their money, and eventually opened their own small business, a small restaurant. So my father and mother were constantly educating me on how margins work and how you made money in this, in this little tiny restaurant. From there, I went to school and learned. I had a lot of great teachers and mentors. And my secret sauce is that I was able to work with three billionaire families. So for my modest upbringing always wanting to not be poor and always wanted to be wealthy. Here I meet these wealthy people and I'm able to be counseled by them and learn their uh, experiences, learn from them. So I take the lessons that I learned uh, in the big companies and I apply them to the small and medium-sized companies, Daryl. Okay. So, so all the things that the big companies take for granted by having a CFO in place, they know what a CFO does. You bring all that discipline you work with the SME business owner and go, look, here's how to take your financial management or management of your, your numbers and your financials, and here's how to take that to the next level. Here's what the big guys are doing. Let me bring these skills to you and give you a bit of insight into you know, um, you know, a, a shortcut, if you like, to, to that 
that high level financial management. You don't need me full time. Your business isn't ready to have me in there full time. So I'll just spend a little bit of time on a regular basis to keep things moving in the right direction from a financial control perspective. Yes, that's very well said, uh, Daryl. <laughs> Thanks. So, so now you've been doing that with a, with a client for a number of years. And one of your clients says to you, Manny, look, I'm, I've got to the stage. I'm thinking where I, I, I want to get out of the business. I think it's time to start thinking about my exit or if it's a partnership or, or you know, several directors, what have you. They're saying, Manny, we're thinking about exiting the business. What chain of events does that trigger off for you in, in, when, when that conversation's had? You know, that's a great question. Uh, the first one is the timing. It's like, hey, you want to sell? When would you like to sell? And generally speaking, we've already had this conversation in terms of preparation. I'll always ask, hey, you know, what is your ultimate exit strategy here? And I try to share with my clients that you just can't wake up one day and just decide I'm going to sell my business tomorrow. Now, absent, absent some kind of adverse change to your business model or you know, an unforeseen health challenge. So the first thing would be timing because you have to get prepared. Okay, so, so timing, what sort of answers do you normally get? Tomorrow? Uh, yeah, I'd like to, you know, let's see if we can get it done this quarter. <laughs> like, yeah. Okay, really? Yeah. So they weren't listening. <laughs> yeah. So first thing is you need to manage expectations, right? You've got to go like, this is a process that takes time. It, it's not a, it, it's not a, you know, pull the trigger and, and it's done. It, it takes timing. So what expectation do you, you set with your clients of going, hey, look, if we start today, here's the soonest we can get it done. And ideally, this is how much time we want to allow to get everything right to make sure that you get the smoothest possible exit um, journey. Yeah, great question. Based on my experience, Daryl, I recommend uh, two to three years, so 24 to 36 months of a preparation period in order to maximize value. Yeah. And what do you do over those two to three years? You must have something in the back of your mind. You're going, right, I've got two or three years to work with this. I've got to maximize value. There's a whole lot of levers I need to pull. Um, what are some of the ones from a, a CFO's perspective that you, you need to get right so that when the buyers start looking at things, they're going to go, hey, this is sweet. Yeah. The first one is seeing how serious the business owner is about selling. Uh, because entrepreneurs, they like to change their minds. That's, that's how they got <laughs> No, we don't. That's how they got to where they are, uh, is by, you know, execution, taking action. And they like to change, you know, change directions. You know, in this case, you know, I'll ask them, do you want to do this? What are you going to do if you sell this business? Uh, if required, do you want to stay and work for the next owner for a certain period of time? Uh, so those are the types of questions that I would ask initially. And if they are serious about it, then I'm going to ask the most difficult question um, in my experience is how much you think your business is worth. <laughs> and that's going to you know, open up Pandora's box. Yeah, so, so that's... It seems to me the more I speak to business owners around the world, the stories are the same. So, <clears throat> so what, what you're checking in with is, hey, look, 
let, let me understand from the beginning. Do you know what's involved in this journey, Mr. Client, Mrs. Client? Um, do you know how long it's going to take? Do you know how much work is involved to get you there? Oh, and by the way, have you got an idea of what you want to sell the business for and what it's worth? Because what someone's willing to pay for it and what you want for it could be, we need to minimize that gap as much as possible. Um, and hopefully you uh, have the gap the other way and, and, and have the business worth far more than you think it is. Um, we need to allow two to three years. And, and I'm not sure if you said this, but you know, what are you going to do after you're gone from the business, Mr. Client? Have you got something that's going to energize you and, and do you know what you're going to? And, and one of the things that you said earlier that I just want to explore a little further, if I may, Manny, you said you asked the client about their exit strategy. Exit strategy is some of those words that I've heard you know, people use. So when you say exit strategy, what do you mean? What, what does it mean to have an exit strategy? Yeah, in my experience, Daryl, it means how do you um, successfully move on from this business that you've created? <clears throat> that would be the exit strategy. Okay. So I have some clients that are like, hey, I never want to sell my business. This is great. I enjoy what I'm doing. Um, you know, based on all the information we have, uh, I should be able to continue to grow and make a living. Um, with other clients, I can give you a quick example. I had a client that was making like a 60% gross profit margin in, uh, in their business. And it was so profitable because they were in this space in the beginning that they didn't have any competition. And then the larger companies moved in. I mean, big companies because they were attracted to that. And next thing you know, those margins went down to 10%. Mm. So they were, they were kind of forced to, it got onto their radar screen that they were forced to, to kind of, you know, get tuned in here to what they were doing. So, you know, back to exit strategy, it's all right. You have a business, you've been working here, let's just say 10 or 15 years. What is the plan? You know, how much do you think you're, it's worth, and by the way, what are you going to get for the business? You know, what do you think it's worth? Yeah. So we need to figure out what the options are. We need to see where their energy is and how serious they are about um, the options. Um, if they're aware of what all the options are, what life will look like. So, so they've got some sort of vision of what's going to happen next. Um, and for some, that could be some sort of gender or step down or, or fade, fade out or... or or some sort of crank it up. There's a whole lot of options available to say how their exit journey will look. And you're saying that let's get some clarity around that so we know where we're headed and, and, and in your role, what I'm driving you towards um, as, as a client. Okay, so there's our exit strategy. Mm -hmm. Now the client says, great. Okay, Manny, we're, we're, we're now in exit execution planning phase mode. What are the things that you start working on from a financial numbers perspective that you know once some sort of deal or offer is made, when, when buyers, acquirers come snooping around, they're going to lift the bonnet, lift the hood. They want to have a look and, and see what's what, you know, they want to have some sort of understand. They want to understand, they want to assess the risk, don't they, of, of what they're acquiring. So what information do you start preparing for them so that it's there ready to go and they can go, okay, and, and they get confidence really quickly from the information you've provided? Yeah, they're going to want to see a uh, preliminary due diligence list. Uh, they're going to want to see, for example, uh, the financial statements, generally speaking, for the last three to five years. 
You're also going to want to see the tax returns uh, for the last three to five years. And then they're going to conduct, uh, you know, an additional analysis to see how buying this client's business uh, would work for them. Yeah. And, um, so let's, let's dig into those a little deeper. In the due diligence, because a lot of the, the people listening to this, they haven't been through the process before. They've possibly heard the term due diligence. They've possibly heard, I'm sure they have heard, because uh, we've, we've discussed it before, that when you do the due diligence, it's going to be painful. So when you do the due diligence, what are people looking for? What, what are they looking for to be diligent around? Yes, um, if I may, uh, depending on this, the first step is going to be to hire a broker if you're a small yep. business. And if you're a medium-sized business, you're going to hire an investment banker. Yep. And these, this is, because I'm not the guy. Your outsourced CFO or your you know, chief financial officer is not the person that's going to lead the sales process. Right. Um, so we're, we're going to have this other person that is highly skilled in the space that you're in. And they're going to be the ones that are providing that, hey, you need to watch out for this and look out for that. And they are going to ask for a very long laundry list of information, uh, beginning with the financials. You know, what type of liabilities do you have, direct liabilities? You know, what kind of guarantees have you given? Then they're going to dissect your customer base. They're going to say, hey, who are your customers? Do you have a concentration? I mean, there's all different kinds of ways they're going to come at you. Yeah, this this is the sort of detail I think people really need to know. So you know, have some understanding of the analysis of their customer base, how long their customers, you know, some evidence of how long their customers last. Uh, what's the churn rate of their customers? What's the average spend? How the, the customers were acquired and how the customers found your business in the first place. Then you started talking about you know, the financials. Let's We need three-year financial history, you know, three to five years. You know, what are all the items in our chart of accounts? You know, what items there are essential? And then they're wanting to be having a look at, you know, do I need to adjust the accounts? What's the owner paying themselves compared to what I would need to pay a, a business owner? Um, is that above market? Is it below market? Are there any extraordinary items in, in the in the P&L which wouldn't be there if I owned or someone else owned the business? Um, and so I'm guessing that your role would be to prepare a set of adjusted accounts uh, for, for the buyer? Yes, that's called an add-back schedule uh, sometimes here in the States. And yep. yes, uh, so they're trying to determine, you know, uh, that the adjusted earnings of the business, which is going to take into consideration, you know, certain discretionary expenses. Yeah. And, and you, I'm taking it, are going to be a, a first point or a liaison for a broker or an investment banker, um, given that you probably bridged the two worlds as a CFO? Yes. Yes, I will be uh, intimately involved, you know, together with the business owner. Yeah. And many... Like, so, yeah, different owners, I take it, sorry, different acquirers are going to want to, uh, you yeah, look at different types of information depending on the history and the, the specific business at hand, and I guess also the industry. Have you got, and I know we, we didn't plan this question, so I'm just giving you a moment now to, I guess, prepare yourself. Mm -hmm. Is there something up your sleeve? What's the strangest piece of information uh, that, that someone where has has been has asked for uh, from from one of the the uh, businesses you've been involved in? The strangest question. Oh, I'm going to need a minute for that one, Daryl. I can 
Scan the memory banks. Strange questions. Hmm. Uh, nothing's coming to mind right now, but I'm sure something will come. Uh... We'll keep the conversation going, and I'm okay. sure it'll pop into your mind later. Okay. <clears throat> so, um, uh, yeah, yeah, I should have given you that on notice. That's okay. No worries. So what about business owners? What are the, what are the things that they most often are surprised by or, 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 or don't consider when they start thinking about their business um, and, and thinking about their transaction? Yeah, in my opinion, uh, based on my experience, the business owners tend to vastly overvalue um, their business. So, for example, just throwing numbers out, they're like, okay, I'm not selling this for less than $10 million. I'm like, yep. Okay. And meanwhile, with what little that I've learned, I'm like, okay, that's not going to fly. So I try to then put themselves in the shoes of their acquirer in order to help with the reconciliation of a value number. Yeah. Here's how, a, here's how an outside person is going to value your business. Because, yeah, I've seen it with, you know, people with their homes, their cars, their, any of their possessions, they, you know, they, they look at the house down the street and what they sold for and they go, well, my house is better than that. So mine will be you know, worth more than that. Yeah. And they may not have even been inside that other house and inspected it. So they've got no real um, reasoning for think that their house might be worth more. We, we talk to a lot of business owners um, who are looking to sell their business and they go, well, you know, Joe Bloggs down the street sold their business for, and they'll, and they'll just rattle off a, a, a multiple often. They'll go, hey, they sold theirs for five times, and, you know, mine's better than that, so I should get six or seven, right? And I go, well, five times what? Right. And they go, well, EBITDA. And I go, adjusted EBITDA? <laughs> right. And they go, ah. Because, you know, they'll just think, you know, whatever EBITDA they produce is the right number. And I go, well, you know, sometimes you need to normalize or adjust your accounts, you know, to, to make it reflect like it would look for the, for the buyer. Because you're only paying yourself a, a really small salary and taking a whole lot out in dividends. You know, we need to adjust for that, what a, a proper salary would be. Ah, well, if you do that, I won't have any EBITDA. <laughs> right. Okay, so we need, yeah, that's why we've got to work on this business over the next two or three years because the buyer wants to see a history of growing EBITDA as well. They don't, don't want to see a static. If they're going to maximize the value, they want to see future growth that, that's already started and, and, and you're on the, the journey to that. So we need to set and manage expectations for the, um, the, the founders, the owners of the business and, and what, you know, how much they're going to be uh, put through the ringer and how much they're going to be tested that they know and understand about their business model and how the cash and, and how the business works. <clears throat> A great set of points, Daryl. Yeah, thanks. The business strategy, I advise them that the business strategy is going to change, that they're going to focus now on maximizing the profitability. Um, so I'm not saying that they're not going to be reinvesting in their business uh, at all, but I'm saying that their focus will switch to short-term uh, paybacks. So when I say to them that if your plan is to sell in three years, you're not going to want to make an investment in your business today that has a five-year payback. Yeah. And and the other thing is, is you, you need to leave some growth on the table for the acquirer. If, if you, if you take all the growth out and all the opportunity out and leave nothing left, no one's going to want to pay maximum value. They're just going to pay, you know, the, the minimum they can get away with. They'll only see what the future is for them. <clears throat> yes. Okay. So 
Well, what are some of the mistakes you see business owners making when they're, when they're going through the journey um, and they're working with you to get everything set up for exit? Uh, again, the, the biggest one, in my opinion, would be overestimating the valuation. Mm-hmm. And the second one would be not understanding what that adjusted EBITDA is. Because unless you've sold a business before, chances are you, you don't know what an ad back schedule is. Yeah. You know? And and I've heard some stories that someone was telling me once, and uh, and maybe maybe this rings true for you as well. If the business owner is too involved, depending on the business, but if they too they get they get drawn into preparing and providing all of the information for the potential acquirers when a deal's being negotiated, that they can take their eyes off the ball for the business, and then they get the double whammy of of if they take their eye off the ball for the business, the revenue can drop. And if the revenue drops, well, and the deal doesn't go through, well, then that's not good. But also, if the revenue drops and the deal does go through, the acquirer is going to want to pay a smaller price because the revenue's dropped and therefore the EBITDA has dropped uh, again. Is, is that something that you've come across? Yes, that's an excellent point that you make. Uh, I advise my clients that, you know, hey, this is going to consume your life. You know, selling a business is going to literally take every piece of spare time that you have in addition to running this business and you're going to find yourself potentially to be overwhelmed and we want to do everything we can so that doesn't happen where you're consumed and you drop the ball so yes excellent uh, point okay and and what about the the staff and the management team manny do you get involved in in anything there in terms of i guess uh confidentiality or or, or contracts to make sure that they they stay and 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 uh, you know keep the business growing, uh, ready for the new owners. Um, is that something that you you're involved? Yeah, that's that's a great point. So we will work, um, you know, and actually that's an excellent point and one that I forgot to mention is what what you're saying here, which is the key employees. Generally speaking, the acquirer is going to want those key employees to stay, and it's a very sensitive time because you don't want to approach the key employee too early in the process to tell them that the business is for sale because they might leave or, you know, the, the process is not far enough along uh, to merit talking to that employee. So for example, let's say uh, the letter of intent is signed and they begin some heavy duty due diligence. Maybe that's the time that the employees are approached and, uh, and attorneys are involved to shape these, agreements there are contracts that the employee would sign in to stay on with the new ownership and an employee has a contract and, and they're employed and if they're you know, is there anything else we can do to help you know motivate or incentivize the employee to want to stay through the the, the transaction um, I'm guessing we're talking about the key employees here to make sure that they they drive through the changes. Will, will, will that reduce the risk for the for the new acquirers? Um, is, I think is, so. Um, in my experience, the, and this is from history, historical examples, business acquirers that went in and bought a business and quote unquote let everyone go, they that that acquisition did not meet its desired metrics because you let go all the people that knew what was going on. We have a, a, a saying here in the States that says, do you want to talk to the boss or the person that knows what's going on? 
you know? So you want to you want to do everything you can because you'll know as the business owner who your key players are and hopefully you're taking care of them along the way as if the business is not for sale because you don't want them to leave. You know, they're the value. I guess the, the, the plus side to that, Manny, is that if the person that knows what's really going on is not the boss, that's a good sign that the business is big enough that they don't need the boss to be there to, to know what's going on. So that business could be worth more. <laughs> I like how you found the positive in that one. <laughs> Brilliant. So, so look, Manny, let, let, let's pull this together and, and, and sum it up. Um, I think what you're saying is that um, for a mid-market sized business, if the business owners uh, are wanting to, they're getting to the stage where they're thinking about what's next, they want to allow three to five years, ideally in, in, a, in an ideal world, to be putting that plan into place. Why? Because they want to put together five years of financials and have a history of you know, five years of financials of growing healthy financial statements that tell a good story. They... They need to um, have the systems and the management team all aligned so that the business is running, it's less dependent on them. They need to have bring in someone with some high-level financial skills that really close to the business um, of a CFO-type caliber that can put together and prepare all the financials and present them in a way and respond to the potential acquirers who are asking for information about the business. Um, and that, that CFO type of person can take some of the weight, some of the demand away from the founder who would be doing it otherwise. And that way the founder can keep as much time and energy on the business to keep the business driving forward and make sure it doesn't lose focus. And the CFO can put all of their energy into preparing this information, this confidential information. Because they're at arm's length, it's a pretty healthy um, uh, relationship between the founder, uh, the CFO, and the, the investment banker or the broker. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we know that there's going to be some pretty awkward questions to be asked, so let's get ready for that. And when those awkward questions are asked, it's not about the business owner, it's just about the acquirer wanting to understand the risk of acquiring that business. That's very well said. Brilliant. Very well said. Manny, is there anything that, that I've missed that, that you wanted to make sure yourself that, that listeners to the podcast take away from our conversation today? What's the key point you want them to hear? Uh, that it takes time to sell your business. You can't just jump up you know, and decide one day I'm going to sell tomorrow. Uh, and the second biggest thing would be the you know coming to terms with valuation. Um, if you are committed to selling your company and you have a difference in opinion with your internal financial people, then go make the investment and get a valuation. And that way you can see right off the jump how in tune your expectations are with the market and it'll give you time. Uh, that two to three years that we were talking about, you know what you need to do to get to that valuation that you desire. Brilliant understand the gap, understand the reality. Mm-hmm. And if you can get there, if you can close that gap in the time frame that you've got at hand. That's yes. brilliant. Hey, Manny, thanks for sharing your insights with us today. I appreciate you being on the show. Thanks, Daryl. I appreciate uh, being here. Thank you for having me. <laughs>